Welcome to our next episode of the 5 Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the 5 Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology and offer proven ways to put the five moments of need into practice. So welcome back, everyone, to Performance Matters. Bob Mosier here, your co-host, as was introduced in the beginning of this. We are so pleased and honored that you're joining us today. We hope this podcast finds you safe and well. We know these are difficult times, so we're so pleased you took time to participate. We hope you are finding these helpful. This is our 43rd episode, just passing 18,000 downloads. So we're hoping that that means that we're being of some help. By all means, as always, comments and questions, follow up, let us know what we can do, topics we can cover around the five moments and workflow learning so that we can help you do this better as we all journey through and do our best to do this well. I am extremely honored today to be joined by a dear colleague and friend. Gotten to know this young lady over the last several years. So impressed with her work her dedication to the craft and the way she has taken on five moments and workflow learning in a really remarkable way. So looking forward to her sharing her story with us today. This is an Experience Matters podcast, one of our most popular. So rather than read a bio, hate doing that, I will let this dear friend of mine do that better than I ever could. So Megan, it's great to have you here. We're so honored. Why don't you give us a little bit on your background in L&D, your team, and kind of a little bit about how you got started in five moments. And of course, we'll take it from there as we get deeper. Thank you so much, Bob. I'm so humbled by that introduction and I'm so thrilled to be here with you today. So to start off a little bit about my background, like you, I started off as a teacher, but mine was of course unintentional how most of us have fallen into L&D. Upon graduating from Michigan State University, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And thankfully I had a few friends that worked in our migrant student services program, which just had a facilitation role that opened up. I prepped as best I could and really thankful to have started off the foundation of my career in that role. I taught for the high school equivalency program for the subjects of math, reading and writing, both in English and Spanish to a diverse set of adult learners. So I got to experiment a lot within the classroom environment, learn how important it was to build those relationships and really just a great foundation as a jumping point into my career. From there, I packed up all my belongings that fit into my Volkswagen Jetta, drove (laughs) down to Houston, Texas, and got into international consulting from a learning and development perspective. So I built out a lot of training programs, design development, and got a lot into the facilitation as well. So embedding accelerative learning and experiential learning into a lot of those programs. It also helped me to open my eyes to many different industries, different cultures, different business drivers across the board. From there, I moved up to Dallas, Texas. I was with PepsiCo for about a year and a half. I got much more into the e-learning design and development side of things, a little bit more on the technology and higher level stakeholder management. Then moved on to Coca-Cola Beverages Florida. And contrary to what the name implies, it was very much a really small learning and development team. Really got to run the gamut in terms of the experiences that I was exposed to here from more of a leadership type role, higher level stakeholder engagement, and really being able to have a seat at that table with the leaders across the business and built out some training programs, a blended multi-day leadership program, uh, more on the role-specific programs, orientation and onboarding as well. So 
all those experiences led me to where I am today, which is where I'm very thankful to be as a principal learning experience designer at HubSpot. And I primarily focus on building out remote inclusive experiences across Mm. the board. We have various programs, which I'll touch on throughout this podcast and really enabling performance, which the five moments of need has truly changed the way I look at things, the way I approach the business and the way I'm able to do my job in a much more efficient and effective manner. So really thankful that to have taken that certification just a few months ago now. Wow. You have had a remarkable career, young lady, for being (laughs) such a young lady in our business. That's just outstanding. And and so as I started public education, taught third grade for five years, you know, we're quite steeped in the discipline that is education, right? And we had it drilled into us. I have an advanced degree through at the time what was called a master's in education and so on. And I'll tell you, I knew it in chapter and verse for the first 20 of my career and then stumbled on this thing like you did at a time when I was a a little bit of a crossroads with what worked and didn't. Mind shift change. This is a remarkable journey for folks. A lot of times people ask who our biggest obstacles often are in our work when we work with organizations. And although L&D is often our client, they sometimes become our biggest resistors as we get (laughs) deeper into this because, man, it is different. Everyone believes in performance. Everyone got into this to do that. That's the ultimate goal. It always has been. But boy, I tell you, to truly design from that perspective is really different. Can you walk us a little bit through your journey of this mind shift change about what that's been for you about performance versus knowledge? Absolutely, Bob. It has been a huge mindset shift for me that I've I've been going through over the past few months. And truth be told, over the past few years. So my journey with the five moments of need really started back in 2016 when I attended my very first learning and development conference, Elliot Maisie's Learning 2016 down in Orlando, and my eyes were open to so many things. But one of the hugely impactful sessions that I attended was where you and Dr. Khan Godfredson were giving overview of the five moments of need and explaining performance support. And that was a major light bulb moment for myself. I knew that back in my role, we were taking orders, designing as quickly as we could and really responding to those requests, but we weren't truly partnering Mm -hmm. with the business and getting to the bottom of those business objectives and really understanding from the learner's perspective. So from the traditional way of doing things, I knew that it just wasn't hitting the mark. I I started to chase performance support and really try to understand conceptually what the five moments of need looked like in practice and what great looked like from that moment. And it's, it's really been a journey ever since. So very thankful to say that when I went through the certification program, as you mentioned, that mindset shift was hugely impactful for myself. The concepts are not very complex. Uh, It makes sense. Everything makes sense as you're going through it. All the pieces fit together. And it really, it was a light bulb moment after light bulb moment for me. Although it was a lot to take in and really reconceptualize everything that I had learned and known from my mentors, from my experiences throughout my career. So really took some time to do that. But one thing that really helped me as I went through the program was really being intentional about taking that learning back to my team and relearning what I learned. After each session, I would try to put together a quick 510 PowerPoint deck Hmm. around what I learned that day and record a quick Loom recording to really teach and upskill my team. Um, And that really helped me. Yeah, it really helped me a lot to identify 
gaps. As, as I was going through the program, if, I, if something wasn't truly clear to me, I would dive into the EPSS and do a little bit of learning and, and that application and expanding a bit more on what it was that was presented in the class to truly conceptualize that in our workforce and in our area of working at HubSpot. So that was very helpful. Wow. So true learning in the moment of need for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Trying to apply it. It's funny, you know, when we, uh, when we first built the course, I'll do, I'll do a little embarrassing storytelling here, but we didn't have performance support. You know, the first time we taught it was it for Elliot at the Maisie Center. Uh, Molly Petroff, some of the great folks you've seen in some of the early podcasts were our first students, Carol Stroud, who's now one of our wonderful developers in our company. She was in that very first class. And one of the students, as we were going around doing the hi, how are you? And Con and I prepared this whole thing, right? It's the first time we're doing it. And this woman goes, well, I just can't wait to see the performance support you've built because of course <laughs> this class is about, you know, it's, and, and, and I just remember looking at him going, oh my gosh, we have a workbook. We've got science decks. We've got activities. By the way, we just finished writing our first book on this thing. So my gosh, talk about, you know, more than knee deep in it as a, as a discipline. We hadn't made the shift. When we were asked by Elliot to do a workshop on this topic, we wrote a workshop without performance yeah. support, right? I love your, um, what great looks like. I really, really love that quote and the challenge you went through in getting the, what I think is also fairly straightforward concepts, but making that cognitive shift to doing it, the ahas that come along with that. You mentioned having some struggles or some challenges as you kind of came in and out of that. What were some of the more fundamental or profound, profound maybe too big, but some of the more, you know, the turning point, if you will, or pivotal ahas that you got as you started to make that journey? Yeah, absolutely. And just to piggyback on top of what you mentioned around building out our own experiences and workshops, it's a typical trap that we all fall into building for the content and the knowledge and the understanding yep. that we want to infuse into our learners. But it's really the shift around aligning and focusing on that performance. So, so many mindset shifts around that. But one really major one that was so helpful, not only for myself to understand that, but as I began to share that, this uh, new way of doing things with stakeholders in terms of enabling adoption and really being more communicative around these changes that we were embarking on uh, was the train, transfer, and sustain. The mm -hmm the methodology and the visual around this to really truly make it clear that all of our content that was existing, everything that we were focusing on really fell within this train area. And it was so much around the knowledge, the information, focusing on the classroom, focusing on those one hit wonder or those experiences that had a beginning and an end and didn't truly move into the space of where learners were having to apply this knowledge, which yeah. inevitably, as we know from going through the content, learners were having to unlearn and then relearn once they left our programs to really mm. put that into the perspective of the actions that they were going to actually take in role. So it really helped for me to understand that the majority of what we had currently and, and still have to this day, it's definitely a journey, was so much around higher level, bigger ideas rather than the actual actions that they would be taking day in and day out on their role. So a huge shift there to more focus on the transfer and sustain within their role. You know, it's interesting. And, and, and that's what we have to do, right? When you, when you have the bell curve in the room, we were taught in, in education, you got to teach to the middle kind of. I've always had an issue with and struggled terribly with words like individualized instruction, personalized instruction, tailored, because my whole thing is those are great things to throw out, 
But when 26 people, 15 or whatever, walk in my room, how do you do that? I mean, how do you do that? You got to kind of stay right at that level of abstraction just so everyone can participate, engage, and you can reach as many as you possibly can. The individualization comes when they leave. Like you did when you left the class and tried to individualize it for yourself right away so you could also do it for your colleagues. That's where individual instruction occurs. And for so long, I know my work didn't go into that. I didn't intentionally participate in supporting or helping that. But with the EPSS that you went back to and other things, we can truly be a part of that without being there or feeling we have to own that stuff. Exactly. And we can really allow learners to take that responsibility within their role to understand in our EPSS instance that we've built out at HubSpot, it covers the sales process, which is a huge initiative. And there are so many different pieces to that. So for the sake of this example, let's say there are seven pieces, some roles that go through our Mm -hmm. sales onboarding process, which is quite a big amount of time investment in terms of those different roles they may only be covering that first piece of that sales process. So they're spending so many weeks out of the workflow and it's really around implementing that performance support, designing and enabling for them to be able to use some of these aspects in role instead of expecting them, for example, to go back and review a long e-learning or a long slide deck that they may have gone through in that week too, when they're actually needing to apply that We've been embarking on, of course, the mission of taking a lot of that content that's already developed and and putting that into those bite-sized performance support pieces in a way within our EPSS that's easy for them to navigate to within the golden rule, as I know you've come back to time and again, is within two clicks, 10 seconds, ensuring that they're able to get access that at the moment of need. But it's been a change, as you alluded to earlier, Mm. within our L&D team around wrapping our minds around this this change of mindset, this change of how we're designing, how we're reutilizing and repurposing our content. It's been a journey as well, but it's been helpful to take it in baby steps and not come into it and say, we're going to wipe out absolutely all of our training we've done. (laughs) That's not the case. Uh, We're just going to repurpose a lot of that and pull from it and redesign so that it's more action oriented. Let's go a bit deeper into that, if you don't mind, because I I think you're onto something really it's so powerful. And that is that this is a change management moment. It's not just a new methodology. It's not just another tool you can buy, although although actually it is both of those things, frankly, but those in and of themselves are the tools in the toolkit, right? They're not the carpentry that is the discipline. So I find that one of our biggest heavy lifting in our work is the change management element around the project we might be called in to do. The the project's the easy part, right? So so (laughs) you got all these these stakeholders to manage. Of course, you got the person who who consumes it ultimately, the learner, but you've got the L&D team that has to be brought along. You've got the the managers of the learners that might have to be brought along. You got the enterprise at large who kind of has a certain learning culture or the way they view how learning has always been done that has to come along. Can you speak a little bit to the changes you've encountered in the different roles or stakeholders that you've had to work with in your journey there? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really grateful to say that it's been a pretty smooth journey in terms of implementing the five moments of need and presenting to our stakeholders. So I've done a lot around the front end in terms of communication around where we're planning to go with this EPSS, a lot of the drivers and the theory and the methodology that's backing this up in terms of talking through train transfer and sustain, talking through our current problems and and really the business driver around reducing that time to ramp learners into that full Mm. performance and role. So everyone is very much aligned around that. So that's kind of a no brainer. There's no friction there, but in terms of different areas of where this may have taken more time is 
around our learning and development team, we have typical ways in which we use templates and we have an intake form and we've got processes that we follow internally. So it's really a much bigger shift within our language, our our mm-hmm. practices, our approaches, our conversations that we're having in terms of that needs analysis, which can now shift to rapid workflow analysis, which is so much faster than what we've typically been doing. Mm. And especially the shift around, there's a constant shift from, of course, being order takers to being more consultative yeah. with the business. It's a constant journey that we're on and that I've seen at learning and development departments across the board. And it's really around focusing on the learner. I'm, I'm really passionate around, and that's what the five moments of need is telling us as well, that we're speaking with these business matter experts and the high performers in role instead of typically taking orders from leadership, from the CEO in some cases, from those people that are seeing the problems at such a high level, but may not exactly know how to fix it because we need to speak to the learners. So that's a continuous process improvement that we're working towards is really focusing as an L&D department on not losing that connection with the people that are actually going through the experiences and, and those that are actually performing in role. You know, and we talked about SMEs, SMEs. Yep. Right? Again, there's so many changes, subtle, but collectively powerful that you go through as an ID in this. One of them is SMEs. I, 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 you lived and died by them. Their time was invaluable. There's only so many of them that, that are in many organizations, frankly. And I get all that, but I love the way you're pivoting on the learner than necessarily an SME who frankly is fairly learned <laughs> in, in, in what you're going to teach. Can you talk a little bit about how that role may have changed on the intake side and the analysis side for you guys? Absolutely. And especially as I think back to some of my earlier days and to some more junior designers that may be listening to, I know there's that constant pressure of feeling like you want to make the most use of everyone's time, especially when we're thinking about SMEs and those that are at a very high level within the business, maybe are tenured about 20 years and they've got a wealth of knowledge. It's such a difficult concept to try to extract all of that information within a 30-minute meeting, even within a one-hour meeting. It's so difficult to do so, but the five moments of need has really helped to restructure around really segmenting between let's drive towards the performance and really understand the tasks, the actions, the steps that those learners are performing, rather than the higher level content and knowledge and information that learners, as we know, obtain through performing and through doing that role. There's so much information that's relevant within the context of doing the role. And if we just explain that to them within a week of their time, when they're having to actually go and perform Mm. and do it, they're having to retrieve or think back and and take the time to leave the workflow to access a slide deck or an e-learning or whatever it was that they went through to originally learn the information that was probably given to us by an SME and relearn that or translate that or reach out to peers or take that additional time. That's of course, taking away from that time, actually performing and within the workflow as well. It's a shift. Yeah. Right? Khan was the person who coined BME for me, business matter expert. We had to call him something. <laughs> so, yeah. so you got your subject matter expert who are by definition, by the subject they have mastered, they are an expert in it. They struggle being business matter experts, which sometimes I take a little of offense to, frankly, because they are that. But what we mean by that is the people who are in the business, though, the people that are the those that know the business, but not maybe the system yet or not the sales process yet. But they're living every day in the business itself, surviving in the workflow, understanding the workflow, understanding gaps that they have 
that they don't know. And so the complement of an SME and BME, but the complement is really fairly powerful. And, and we've had SMEs in, in RWAs who heard an, a BME describe something and go, you know what? I totally forgotten about that. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't even do that anymore. Well, right. That's, that's why you're an SME. <laughs> yeah. It becomes so second trying, nature. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I'm trying to write a course or write an experience or develop embedded performance support for the person who has to still remember and do that stuff that has become so intrinsic to you because of the nature of who you are. So powerful stuff. This EPSS thing. Yes. Khan and I've tried forever to come up with a different acronym only because it has, EPSS has been around a long time. I mean, I don't know where you were in 1991. I don't dare ask, but you're probably fairly young at that point, <laughs> if maybe even around, <laughs> but. I was around, but uh, not training yet. Yeah, <laughs> she wrote this remarkable book, but people equate it to job base. People equate it to a embedded pop-up menu. People even remember Clippy, if you are young, old enough to remember that darn thing uh, in Microsoft Office. But, you know, it, they oversimplify the potential of what we know it to be now. Right. What's your journey with that side of this development and this, in many ways, I really think new tool to our tool set and toolkit that, that I, I know I didn't have in the way we think about it today. How has that journey gone for you? Yeah, that's such a great question because that's been another huge mindset shift for me. I, again, I think I've had at least 20 aspects <laughs> that really, that really play into this overarching mindset shift that the five moments of need has set me on. Uh, but the performance support pyramid has been really helpful from a segmentation perspective to mm. understand at which point in time, different aspects or different designs of performance support might help learners best. And then it's been really helpful to really think in terms of the modern learner, especially as we think about TikTok and some of these other really short and concise video clips that may tell an entire story within a minute and a half. And it's yep. honestly really impressive that in itself is performance support and infographics and quick guides. And it's really, it's so helpful not to limit ourselves to, as you're mentioning, the ways of the past. And I'm continuing to get inspiration from our learners as well, as I have conversations and interviews and touch base with learners to really understand some of those areas of friction or where we may have gaps in our current training programs, a lot of the times they've already got user-generated content. They have sure. taken the initiative and put a few things together and that's all they might need. It doesn't need to be very aesthetically pleasing. It's really just got to serve the purpose at that point in time. So it's been really helpful to understand and chat with others that have also gone through the five moments of need program to start to see what this might look like in other industries and understand what types of performance support they're using as well. I had the pleasure of chatting with Chris King just the other day as we were comparing what our EPSSs looked like because we both built them out within the same system. Mm -hmm. Ours is within the Confluence Wiki at HubSpot so far that mm -hmm. the methodology begets technology. So yeah. as I was going through the certification, I held back on determining what this would look like in our workflow and in our environment. Thank you. So so after a lot of designing of the proof of concept and working the methodology and working the process, it became clear that it made the most sense to do what was already adopted within our organization for the time being, and then continue to iterate and improve upon that. So let me ask you a question there, young lady. So you know, I always quote my grandfather, who was just a, a brilliant mentor to me in my life. He said, you know, just because I can swing a hammer doesn't make me a carpenter, <laughs> you know, and I can't tell you how many times I've stumbled over tools in my career 
that some great rep at some expo, you know, God bless them. I'm not saying it was malicious, but to your point earlier, I was so enamored with the demo, so impressed with the feature function. So, and saw a thousand applications I could do it, that I bought the tool for the sake of the tool. And then I came home and maybe I did build something remarkable with it, but then I ran square into the change management again. Here it comes topic of where'd this come from? Why are you guys building this for me? There's, there's the usage of the tool. And I think adoption is a different thing. Absolutely. Right? How, is it, how has it gone at HubSpot with that side of it? Has it taken some work on your part to, did, did it come natively to those, to the learners? Or did you do some setup to be sure they were prepared? How did that segue go in that change for you folks? Yeah, so full transparency here, we are still on this journey in terms of change management and really ensuring that there is adoption among our learners within the sales side of the organization, which is what we've built it for Mm. at this point in time. And there is still a bit of design work for us to do in terms of embedding that within that learning experience of allowing opportunities, whether that's a scavenger hunt for them to go find something within the EPSS or activities where we're directing them to work a certain part of the EPSS or a certain piece of the sales process to click in there, jump to the context or jump to the actions and ensure that they're aligned on the value that this provides Mm. um, or click to some of those learning bursts that may have a one minute video within that piece of the workflow. So it's all designed to, of course, help them to understand where they are in the workflow, which tasks to complete at what time. But on a larger scale here for technology, change management is such a huge piece of this. We move very rapidly at HubSpot and we've been really changing and and trying to stay on the front end of things. I was chatting the other week about our LRS and how that's been Mm. helping us to better understand data and really understand the behavior of our learners. But when going about really trying to purchase and implement and roll out technology, it takes so much longer to do that well. And change management is a really huge piece of that. So let me end with this, young lady. We've got to unfortunately get to a point where these things have to come to an end. I always hate when they do, but you really are, in my opinion, a remarkable young up-and-coming leader in our space. I've just Thank been you so, so much. Well, so impressed with your diligence, your your passion around it, your receptivity to being a true learner yourself. I think those that are good at that are become good bestowers and guidance and creators of learning for others. You've just been so remarkable. What advice would you give looking back, Megan, on, on your five moments experience, but your experience in general to people who are beginning that you'd say, look, if someone had told me that when I had started, maybe I'd be in a different place or maybe avoided a couple of mistakes. What advice would you give to folks? Thank you so much again, Bob. I'm really humbled by this question. So looking back and speaking to more junior designers and really anyone in general, I've tried to boil this down to some really key aspects here. So number one would be education and that investment of time in yourself. And I'm by no means saying go back and get a master's degree or get a PhD. I actually do not have one myself, what I've been really intentional about is listening to podcasts such as this. So all of you listening, kudos to you. Um, There's some other really great podcasts out there as well. And other resources such as blogs. LinkedIn is such an incredible resource. Follow some of those learning and development leaders and those innovators and feel free to reach out to them as well. This was something that I was really nervous to do earlier on in my career, but we are in learning and development for a reason. We 
we rally around helping others and we're all really passionate about that. So if you take the time to construct a really well thought out or purposeful message and ask for some time about conversing about an onboarding program or something specific, whether it's an LRS or the five moments of need, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by the amount of people that will be willing to chat with you on that. So that is a huge one as well. Consulting skills is a major piece here. We kind of alluded to this earlier, but take the time to ask the questions and really keep in mind that you're solving for the business, you're solving for the learner. I know much earlier on as well, I was so nervous to throw up a red flag and say, hey, I need to ask a question or like, can we dive deeper here? Or let's book 30 minutes to really better understand this request because a five-day training program may not be the answer here. <laughs> so, so really taking the time to ask those questions and of course being prepared with constructing those questions in advance, but diving deeper and really getting to the business objectives really helps to make us be better business partners here because the majority of the time that pre-subscribed outcome or that solution that they think L&D needs to bring to the table is the answer. It's not always going to be a course or whatever it may be. And then don't be afraid of change. As Bob was mentioning, we've got XAPI, we've got LRSs, we've got LXPs. There are so many things that are happening within our industry and it's a really exciting place to be. And it's, it's a very rewarding ride at that, but don't be afraid of that. Take some time to read a quick blog post or whatever it may be to just ensure that you're aligned and aware of what that may be to be able to have those better conversations and really help to get to know and ensure that you're staying on the forefront of those things. And then the final one, and I'm going to say this is the most important, and this has been drilled into me by many mentors throughout my career, whom I'm very fortunate to have, is saying yes to opportunities. Mm. Even though you may not know exactly how to do something and you may need to run off and do a quick Google search and spend a few hours <laughs> figuring something out, feel the fear and do it anyway. We've all got a, a very healthy dose of imposter syndrome and it's really just there to remind you how much you wanna do something. So do things with intention and um, if you take the opportunity, I think you're going to surprise yourself to see how far you can come. So do things with intention, as I mentioned, with integrity and with passion. And I think you will be on a great path and feel free to reach out to me at any time as well. I'm always here to help. And I'm so humbled to have the opportunity to chat with you today here, Bob. So thank you again. Well, it's the pleasure is ours and you are anything but an imposter, young lady. You have earned your stripes. Uh, you are our industries in great hands with leaders like yourself coming in behind us. It inspires me as it always has every time we talk to have watched your work, to have worked with you. So appreciate your time today to share uh, really some wonderful learnings on your side. And that's why you're so wonderful because you, as you ended your part, you're one of those in our industry that gives back has gotten plenty from those that have been fortunate enough to have you come across their path. But at the same time, you are a consummate learner, and that's why you're a wonderful learning professional. So thanks, Megan, so much for being here. Thank you so much, Bob. It's all about paying it forward. So I'm it here is. to help however I can. It is. Well, be well, be safe. Friends, thanks for listening. You can reach out to both of us, of course, for follow-up. I'd love to have that. Megan, thanks again so much. Be well, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH 
as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.thenumber5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.